Hello, and welcome to Much to Discuss, the gossip podcast for your quarantine. Where we talk about scandals in the and world. And other controversial items of history and pop culture. And sometimes politics, but I say no to that. Yeah. That's made me very nervous that Ferdy's going to make us do a history episode. <laughs> I'm Anna. I'm Ferdy. I'm Julie Marie Francis Duffy. And this week we are talking about scandals from boy bands and girl bands. Girl groups, baby. Cue the music! <laughs> Can I share one more scandal? Just, just personal? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so you know that your phone like listens to you and like does targeted ads and things like that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say mine is less targeted ads and just that... My phone is stealing my thoughts and selling them to other people on Twitter. I am serious. I don't think it's the case. I know what you're thinking. Maybe my personality is just from Twitter and that's why I'm seeing a lot of similarities. Nope. I think I am the origin. I am the source that I'm being stolen from. One of the days... You're having thoughts for tweets and then people are tweeting them. Emma. Yes. What? Yes, Bertie. There's something (laughs) in my brain. And I have proof. One of the days... Now, I'd like to remind everyone that I'm in Canada and what I'm doing is perfectly legal. One of the days, me and Red Crown made um, weed brownies. Mm-hmm. Funny brownies. And then we ate them. And while on a spiral, I wrote in the notes of my phone that emotionally, I am a bottom, but I'm a dominant big spoon. And I wrote this. I wrote this weeks ago. And I was like, I've never known myself so well I'm like that is truly who I am and then I log on Twitter the other day and some um famous semi-famous Twitter lesbian tweeted emotionally I'm a bottom and she's getting she's getting likes and retweets out the wazoo it should have been me except that I kept it in a private folder but it should have been me it should have been you and you were the added bonus of the spoon can I make a controversial opinion I think all cancers come emotionally are bottoms. I was so nervous you were going to say lesbians. Okay. I was like, I don't think so, Ferdy. Ferdy, <laughs> you know what? Um, for listeners that don't know, both myself and Julie are the star sign cancer. Yeah. And, and Emma I, a Virgo. I think it's a, it's a, it's a thing. Um, Virgos we all agree with that, to be honest. Virgos want to be in charge no matter what's going on. Yeah, Virgos are emotionally a top. They're emotionally distant. <laughs> Me and Daddy. <laughs> okay, who goes first? Um, okay. Uh, Brady's gone first. So, my scandal this week involves the famous band, The Sugar Babes. Mm. Now, I knew that there was lots of scandals in their history, um, and I wasn't sure which one to pick, so I'm kind of picking the three scandals of each of the members leaving the band. So it's yes. sort of mini scandals over the same right. arching theme. Also kind of maybe the history of the Sugar Babes, but three Ooh. scandals we'll go with. So the band was formed in 1998 with three members, Keisha, Mucha, yeah. and Siobhan. Um, yeah. And so Mucha and Siobhan played together and Mucha was like, I have my friend Keisha that we sang together in primary school. Uh, she should like come sing with us and the producer loved it was like you guys should be a band the girls were 13 13 years old whoa 
They were 13, um, and they were originally going to be called the Sugar Babies, um, no. but they decided to change to the Sugar Babes to be more mature. Fair. Did, did Sugar Babies exist then? I think so. For three Sugar Babes is almost worse. No, Sugar Baby is so much worse. Although I never thought about it this way, and they're actually, it's, it's all terrible. <laughs> First off, we have Siobhan. Um, Siobhan Donaghy, who, as you might assume, is of Irish descent. Mm -hmm. And she didn't really get on with the other two. So oh. in 2001, after the release of their first album, they had a, where was it? Uh, yeah, they had a top 10 hit. It got nominated for, Brit for the Brit Award Best Single. Um, and she left while they were in Japan on a promotional tour. So just to interrupt here, so on this Japanese international tour, the girls are 16? Yes, 16 or 17. So after she left, she said, I've never for a second wanted to go back there. This was in an in sort of 2005, I think, yeah. Um, so it says that she did get on with Mucha, but that she believed that Keisha was a bully and Keisha bullied her out of the band. Yes. Um, and this was also huge gossip at the time. Um, the newsletter, the online newsletter, Pop Bitch, was bullied and they kind of broke a story. <clears throat> so Mucha and Keisha's version of the story is that she said she was going to the loo and never came back. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Um, while they're in Japan, you know, she's just like, oh, I'm just gonna go to the toilet. And then they never saw her again. And Mucha <laughs> accused her of having no guts for not saying it to their face that, th that she was leaving. Not even like sneak out in the middle of the night, just, just dead ass, like, all right. Yeah, but what's the wait for outside the toilet. What's interesting, and something that isn't really talked about a lot, but I don't know if there's not a story here, but when I saw it, I thought this is weird. So London Records, who were there, um, a company they were with, dropped the Sugar Babes, but kept Siobhan on. Whoa. So their management kept going with them. And obviously, after Siobhan left, the Sugar Babes became even bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and they became, you know, the Sugar Babes that we know today, mm -hmm. the kind of main lineup. Um, but I just think it's interesting that the record company were like, we're going to stick with the person who says they're being bullied. And then it all kind of goes downhill. After she left, she was diagnosed with clinical depression. Oh. Um, and she. So she wasn't really happy in the band. I, she, from what I can tell, never really wanted to become a famous singer. But this is an interview that I found in 2003 with The Independent, which is horrible to her. 2003? 2003, yeah. And I, is 2003 a different time? It is, but like, it really is just from how nasty this. So obviously, you know, this woman, imagine, right? Yeah. You've just released your new album because she goes on and releases an album a by solo. Um and she's quite indie, you know, she plays in a few like Camden venues and that kind of okay, stuff. Cool. Um yeah. so this independent woman called Charlotte Cripps goes to interview her. They probably have a lovely chat, and then she goes and writes this horrible article where she says, Um, oh, you probably know her as the white girl that wore a skirt. What? Yep. What? Says that she needs to brush up on her stagecraft. Basically, oh. that she's not good at performing. Um, describes her as elfin. Oh, which might be a compliment, but I no. don't is think that it a is. Compliment? I'm not sure. No. Um, says these days she looks twelve, but has the wisdom of an old tree. 
wait, what does that mean? That she's what? You know, some of this is just also bad journalism. Yeah, it would like, Morally wrong, but also like, she's like a tree in a skirt. A yeah. tree in a skirt, she looks elfin. Um, and then What's your educational background? I didn't look up Charlotte Cripps. I was like, I'm not giving her the Google that she deserves. That she no more time for her. Just after she talks about how a lot of the media has been writing reports that she's looking anorexic, but she's happy oh, with how oh. she looks. Just before that line, the independent writer says she looks fragile and pale. Oh, no. Yeah. Come on. And she's a teen girl. She's 19 at this point. No. Which I just think is, you know... The whole, the whole article I was reading, I was like, this is such a different time where someone can genuinely write this level of stuff. But, you know, Siobhan went on. So her album dealt with her depression and kind of going through the motions of being a teen star. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead single went to number 19. So, you know, didn't do amazingly, but it didn't do terribly. She got a top 20 hit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, she went on to play Mimi in Rent in the West End in 2008. Oh. Yeah. Nice. And then when she got married in 2013, both Mucha and Keisha were there. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. nice. But we'll get more into that in a minute because... Can I? More. Yeah. You don't have to tell me, but Mucha's my favourite sugar babe. Does she come out of this looking good? This is the thing. So oh, getting on to her, mm. she does actually. Oh. But then, so in 2005, Mucha left. She said it was, she just had her daughter and she knew, you know, how important her mom had always told her that there's no point in having a child if you're not going to raise it. So she mm-hmm. felt she had to raise the child and take a step back from the band. So yeah, it all seemed very positive and okay at the time. Um, but then Keisha and Heidi started saying that she wasn't turning up to rehearsals. They wrote push the button without her. Fire. And then it started to come out that Mucha that she had postnatal depression. Oh. She was finding it very hard. Mucha. Yeah. So the tabloids sort of started to make stories about the whole leaving thing. So the Daily Mail in 2010, looking back, because obviously a lot of the media at the time isn't up online. Um, but in 2010, they said, Mucha walked out in 2005 saying she had always hated her bandmates. Now, I couldn't find any example of Mucha saying this. And in all the video interviews that she has she always seems very supportive of the others and always seems very you know for the band doing well sorry sugar babes they should be called the salty babes none of these women are happy at all yeah but, it, but i think what? this whole thing about her walking out and saying she always hated her bandmates i don't believe i think it's that the tabloids ran with these stories it was like oh well obviously she's left she hates everyone else um, was this that awful independent again no this is daily mail oh i know no. So reliable, usually. <laughs> so, <laughs> Heidi, who replaced her, Heidi Range, which I think is such a great name. Heidi Range. Heidi Range, sorry, replaced Siobhan. Um, Heidi Range said, we didn't know when she leaved, but we kind of had a feeling she would do at some point because we could tell she was unhappy. So when she said she wanted to leave, then we just said, okay, let's get someone else. And we found a male. So Heidi, from my studying of this i think heidi is the villain heidi seems very like ambivalent towards everyone else's feelings it's just like oh she's unhappy so we just got rid of her and we found this other great person but i guess also she wasn't a sugar babe from the jump she wasn't no but so when she, she was, she was, she was like that this is a manufactured thing 
Yeah. But she got them to jump to stardom. You know, their first mm-hmm. single had done well. And yeah. then they became the iconic band that they... With her in it. Yeah. With her. I think Keisha and Mucha was the golden age of the exactly. Sugar Babes. Ooh. Well, I am a huge fan of Mucha, but I would argue mm-hmm. that the best Sugar Babes song of all time about is you. About You Now. But like, that's, that's one, obviously a yeah. banger, yeah. but that's yeah. one song. We had Mucha in there for, I mean, Freak Like Me, mm-hmm. Push the Button. Push the Button's a Absolutely. Yeah, right. She didn't write, apparently. Well, I don't trust that. Yeah, but she found success. Her big single, "Real Girl," which I'd forgotten, but then I heard it and I was like, "Oh, this was on like now seventy something," and I remember. Can I play it? You can play it. Yeah. Yes, I do know. I it sounds it sort of it sounds like promises, but uh, yes, yeah, yes. But so there was huge controversy when she. Um, did her song with Groove Armada, um, <clears throat> which was originally meant for Estelle of American Boy fame. Okay. It's about, you know, the singer has broken up with someone and that someone has found a new girlfriend. Um, and the chorus is, sat there with some new girl, what is this? Dad who has replaced me, what a diss. It's a sure fine way to ruin my day. Just as soon as I'm on top of my life, there you are again. So it's a song about being replaced and it's a song about seeing this other girl that's replaced you, which obviously a lot of tabloids read as, oh, Mitch is singing a song about being replaced by a male in the Sugar Babes. I never connected those dots. and I love that song. It's a great song, but obviously a lot of people read it that way. Um, It wasn't meant that way. Obviously the band had written it for a different artist, but I think they saw the publicity stunt that could come with it if they gave it to her. And then um, by retitling it, so it was originally called Out of Control, and it was renamed Song for Mucha, as if it had been specifically made for her. She was the second girl to leave, and the second of the original trio. And then Keisha leaves in 2009. So the band has been going for nine or ten years at this That's point. That's a long time for a group like that to be going. Yeah. That's like, think back on all the other bands and stuff they didn't last that long no like those boy bands and girl groups and stuff they just didn't i think had they not been swapping up and changing gals they wouldn't have they wouldn't have if if it was like after the first one left that they were like well that's the end but from what i can tell i think when um much left she assumed the band would go on a break Mm. but instead they kept going and replaced her and her plan was to like raise her baby and then come back so suddenly it was like oh she can't come back because they've replaced her, you know, because normally a band would take a break or, you know, respect the choices and welcome someone back in. But because the Sugar Babes was a brand of three girls. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, 2009, Keisha leaves. And in uh, the same Daily Mail article from 2010, um, it claims that Heidi and Amel say they're happy for the first time. Whoa. So there was a huge scandal um, as this podcast is all about, in the British tabloids about Keisha bullying everyone else in the band. <gasps> Keisha! Keisha. Because Keisha apparently had bullied Siobhan. Eight years later, um, Heidi and Amel 
threatened to leave. They went to the manager and they were like, look, we don't like this bitch. We want to get out of here. And the management said, mm, we'll just get rid of Keisha. <gasps> so, the only OG. They told Whoa. Keisha that she was gone. Imagine uh, Heidi, suddenly mm-hmm. being in a band that was like none of the original members were still in. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and if you're the only one left, you do start to be like, what am I doing with my life that everyone's yeah. moving on? But it's like that whole, was it? Oh yeah, that if you have a broom and you give it a new handle and then you give it a new brush and you give it a new handle and you give it a new brush, is it the same broom? Because none of the original parts are there. Mm. Yeah. Like like in a Herbie fully loaded where they completely redid her Herbie with new parts and you're like, is that even Herbie? Yeah. Emma, what an, what an on-brand comparison for you. Do you want an on-brand comparison <laughs> for me? Please. <laughs> What Doctor one was who? Mozart replaced for his... Doctor Who? Aww. Because every time they change the whole cast, they change the whole production crew, none of the original people are still there, but is it the same show? No. Is it though? No. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, it goes up and down. It goes up and down. Anyway, Heidi said, um, after the, you know, they'd spoken to the management, the next thing we knew, Keisha was gone. Um, and we've not heard from her since. This was a year later. They hadn't heard. Whoa. They were just told that Keisha like had been killed. Yeah. They, didn't even, they didn't try to reach out. They were like, we haven't heard from her. We've been trying to call. And because all no. the like, video interviews or sort of showbiz news things that I could find from 2009, they're all like, oh, well, Heidi's keeping tight-lipped. And so this Daily Mail interview seems to be the first time that like Heidi's speaking out and being like, yeah, we're happy now. and We were bullied and all this stuff. But Keisha came out and said, which I think is an interesting point. I don't know whether I agree with it, but um, she said of her relationship with Heidi, I was a bitch to Heidi at first because I couldn't get over the fact that we'd worked since we were 12 years old and this beautiful girl from state school had it all handed to her on a plate. I made her life hell. Okay. So I'm not... That's a take. I'm not justifying her bullying Heidi or anything like that, but I do understand kind of where she's coming from you know the three gals had worked for this for so long and then Heidi just rocks up because Heidi had originally been a part of Atomic Kitten stop yeah Heidi Rain had been part of Atomic Kitten for a few months and it said that it wasn't the direction with music she'd wanted to go in so she left the band Atomic Kitten and become very famous um and then she went into Sugar Babes wow yeah um that's spice it's spice. So Heidi said, we'll go on and on. The Sugar Babes has never been about one person. After Keisha Heidi, left. Heidi, you're not the spokesperson for the Sugar Babes. You just got yeah. there. Well, no, she hasn't because she's been there for eight years. Ah, she's she's just got been there. there longer than Mucha. Because this is now 2009 at this point. Oh, like, yeah. you know, she's seen the band through its, its mid-period, you know. But what's interesting is, so Mucha tweeted saying, shame on Heidi for not following Keisha out but it doesn't surprise me a bit. Fuck it up, Mucha, yes. Yeah, and also tweeted, um, this is again in 2009, um, it all started so innocently. Look at what it's become. R.I.P. Oh, Learn- sugar babes. Learning and growth. That's it. This was yeah. It doesn't so- go all the way to the top. It goes to the tabloids. When you record this, are you recording the video as well? Yeah, but I don't really look at so, I've okay. deleted the video of the first one. I just have the audio. Okay, okay good. Um, I didn't really dress up for this week. I don't know if you can tell. 
We, have we ever dressed up? I'm going to do it all with multiple chains. Well, I mean, usually I'm clean. Mm. It's normally so like, like for me that I'm like, <sighs> I was in my pajamas for the last one, so I feel like this is an upgrade. I'm in my jammies now. Onto my scandal. Well, so it's it's like some lovely little scandal moments. Uh, scandal so moments. So I'm going to talk about uh, Girl Power, Spice Girls, and two members in particular. Uh, sure you can guess. Going to talk about uh, our good friends, uh, Melanie Brown and Jerry Hallowell, or Horner. Yes. Jerry. Jerry. So Melby and Jerry. So basically, they were the two kind of more feisty, outspoken ones of the group, always. Like, from the very beginning, they became firm friends, and they were the ones who were were the most outspoken and in every interview they're the two who are talking back and forth they were the two who were always fighting with each other fighting with everyone or absolutely just like all over each other best friends so they're scary and ginger scary and ginger so they were the big feisty ones so (laughs) i i've i've included a tiny little scandal at the start before i get into the main one between the two of them but the first one was in may 1997 so they formed the group kind of formed it in 94, 95-ish, and then Emma Bunton joined at some point. There was a lot of mixing up. In May 97, at some gala, some fundraising gala, they met Prince Charles. The Spice Girls met Prince Charles. Mm-hmm. And Mel, B, and Jerry both broke royal protocol and kissed the prince on the cheek. <gasps> the crowds! Yeah. And then also... Uh, Jerry also told Charles that he was very sexy and it was widely reported that she pinched the prince on the bum. Oh my God, unhinged, unhinged. (laughs) But she... she Ice girl's unhinged. So she came out with a statement. So Jerry came out with a statement saying, I didn't pinch Prince Charles, uh, Prince Charles's bum as reported. I patted it. (laughs) (laughs) So she's like, she was like, didn't pinch the bomb, I just patted the bomb. And this sta- this this instance stands as the most well-known rear pat or pinch in world's history. Good. Oh. Good. It's yeah. so funny. But at I this point, it. the Spice Girls are bigger than God. And they're like, they're, they're absolutely huge. And so that was in May 97 that they met Prince Charles for the first time. They met him again in November of 97 with alongside Nelson Mandela. Who oh, was, did they gob him? Wow. So they didn't, <laughs> didn't gob Nelson Mandela, but he was, he was the president of South Africa at the time. And um, he was, President Mandela was so, like, so chuffed to meet these girls that this is the statement that he made. He said, these are my heroes. I don't want to be emotional, but this is one of the greatest moments of my life. When he met the Spice Girls in 97. And getting out of prison was like a five. I don't want to say Spice a lot of respect for him, but like, how would, like, he's a he's hero not, to so many people. How are the Spice Girls his hero? The Spice Girls are his hero. And one of the greatest moments of his life, Prince Charles then. <laughs> oh my gosh. Then said, this currently, along with Nelson Mandela, this is the second greatest moment of my life. The greatest moment was when I met the Spice Girls for the first time. Lads, <laughs> this was what? I, I'm not believing that. This is what? Some, some media company has paid. Like the Daily Mail's reported this, and no one's denied it. Nelson Mandela. I think like, what's the Daily Mail? No one's going to believe that. No, first it's the opposite. 
the Queen paid so much for this not to get out. And they were like, we have to report it. We have to report it. And also what's really funny, Prince Charles, like just huge fan, huge fan Spice Girls. Yeah. This was also a period of time where Prince Charles was not exactly in public favour. Yeah. So he's <laughs> like, hey, these girls are popular. I'll, I'll pretend like I like them. Because obviously, you know, the whole divorce with Diana was around that time. Mm-hmm. You know, for like someone to not objectify him but you know make him seem cool and someone that you want to pat the ass of do you think spice world was his breakup album <gasps> it 100 percent was i believe it okay Jesus. so that's my like minor minor little like scandalous moment that's which I, i'm such a fan i'm such a fan i think that's great i i just yeah. like i feel like it's excellent i think that jerry do you know what she wasn't the best singer she couldn't really dance but but, but Jerry has that roar on the um, Bridget Jones' Diary soundtrack. She, um, did she do a cover of It's Rainy Men? Yeah. Yeah, and it's great. Yeah. Jerry Halliwell is the one that I knew the best because I knew that soundtrack pretty well. Uh, well, anyway. Limited CDs, <laughs> you know? I just, I, I've just gone into a deep, deep dive with um, Spice Girls things lately and I feel like, well, the past two days, and I've gone to deep holes, but my, and, uh, you know, a lot of them, people writing their singing, but whatever. I think Jerry's gas. Oh, good. Right? I think you were going to say you were anti-Jerry. No. Oh, my God. No, absolutely not. Can I share a personal anecdote? Oh, yeah. Not that I'm anti-Jerry. That's, that's not what I came on here to say today. Um, but I will say that uh, when I went to go see them, Jerry was, was very kind of a, kind of a melt. Whoa. <laughs> kind of a wet blanket. At one point... Like, they kept being like, like, we all wanted to have fun. Everyone was pissed. Everyone was dressed up as the Spice Girls, just there to have a good crack. And she just kept trying to, like, make emotional speeches about, like, oh, it's so great we're back together. Not even about girl power, but, like, really just about, like, herself and about, like, the current political climate and da, da, da. And everyone was like, no. And this is, like, after they'd done the bangers. So we were already, like, hyped up. So while she was trying to give a speech at one point, everyone started doing, ole, 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 ole. And we all joined in. And she was like, at what like in the middle of being like and with the world and the way excuse me what <laughs> what are you doing and then like the other Spice Girls started doing along with us and Jerry started shushing the crowd yeah. Jerry into uh-huh. her microphone was like shh, shh I'm, I'm not fit shh I have to say something and all of us were like holy and she was Listen, completely drowned out as Mel B would say Jerry is nuts mm. um and didn't they start the but, in Dublin Sorry. yeah they started it in Dublin so Mel and Jerry, um, Mel and Jerry, best friends. Apparently there was like an instant connection when they met. Mel was 18, Jerry was 21. And they... Don't like that. There was, there was a lot of like rumors and stuff about them because they were so close. And apparently like they all lived in this house together, all five of them. And the other three girls, Mel C, Emma and Victoria would go home like at weekends and stuff to see their family. And, Melby and Jerry would like stay together and hang out together. They also went on a lot of holidays, just the two of them. Okay. They, um, Melby has spoken about them spending Christmas together. Okay. So, um, <laughs> there was, you know, a, a, an idea there that maybe there was some sort of something further than going on. Um, <laughs> can't see it. Wait, I'm I gonna set me off as that. Okay. <laughs> Um, I feel like we're two children giggling. <laughs> this is outrageous. This is my inner mask, Ryan. Sorry. Okay. So anyway, 
they were the best friends and there was some rumors about going around that maybe they were you know getting together in 1998 jerry left the group Ooh. jerry left the spice girls Freddie's Freddie's leaving the room. Freddie's leaving the room. He's laughing in his box. Sorry, go on. Get away, Freddie, because he's annoying me. Freddie, Emma's giving you the full like teacher stare. She's doing like, I didn't do this to you, and you were talking. I didn't do this to you. Am I a joke to you? Um, Emma. Yeah. Sorry. So Jerry left the group there, right? So Jerry left the group in 1998. She didn't tell anyone. She just left. So they were in Oslo. They were in the middle of their tour. They still had the bathroom. No, she didn't. No. That should not do. <laughs> Julie turned off her camera. She's back. Um, okay. Right. So Jerry left the group. They still had to do their North American tour. And she didn't tell them where she'd gone, what had happened. She also left on Mel B's birthday. God. Okay. That means something. 2019 so Melby was fuming that was that was like the main part of it was that Melby was the angriest of the whole thing about her leaving and Jerry Did they finished the tour without her they finished the tour without her and apparently Jerry was like I can't believe that you guys like stopped like carried on like like didn't stop when I left like I can't believe you carried on they were like we had sold out stadium tours of course we kept going but Jerry's like their strongest vocalist Jerry's the worst vocalist. Oh. But Jerry makes sure that she sings the most on the tracks. I'm going to go ahead and say Spice Spice is the best. No, yeah, Mel C. She's the best vocalist. Then it's Emma Borton. Then it's probably Mel B. Then it's Victoria. And then it's Jerry. That's my hot take. But... Do you know what's bad? I forgot Victoria was even there. Victoria's my favourite. Look, Victoria... Okay, we're going to get to that discussion in a minute. Jerry then was in an interview with someone being like... Um, who the person interviewing her was like oh did you leave because of like any of the girls or anything she's like yeah because of one girl in particular so everyone's like it was mel b classic it was mel b so let's cut to 2019 this time last year like january february last year uh mel b is in doing life stories with pierce morgan pierce morgan says so uh was there ever any like you know did you and jerry did you ever sleep together so mm-hmm. mel b says admits that they did have sex if you, you can watch you can watch the video and mel c is in the audience and mel c is like she's literally like her mouth is open and she's like don't say anything i can't believe you just said that i can't believe you just admitted that so but she was always branded as the spice girls lesbian well mel b was has been openly bisexual dang but i'm always thinking like mel c god bless she was 40 spice so she was always like dressed in a more masculine way yeah, then yeah. when she got that big cross and i think she got like a barbed wire tattoo everyone was like right right that's it yeah and she also had visible tattoos in her really? arms and stuff didn't she yeah um, and was the one who did x factor for a while didn't she yeah, yeah. and america's got talent and she did all of those yeah but she had a baby with eddie murphy yeah what yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. There we are. Yeah, and then she was in a horrible, abusive relationship for years as well. Then after yeah. that, real bad. But so she, she admitted to sleeping with Jerry, then, um, which has just, which just like blew up everywhere mm-hmm. this time last year. And everyone was like, oh my God, they're about to go into rehearsals for their yeah. big reunion tour. And everyone was like, that's going to get cancelled because of this. Because Jerry then came back and was like, I can't believe she said this you know, I, this didn't happen. I, and Jerry just denied, 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 denied. And the other girls were kind of coming out being like, eh, yeah, oh, I was a bit surprised when she said it, but, and so Jerry says no, 
Melby says it did happen. And Melby is known for being like brutally honest, not a liar, speaks the truth. So I'm inclined to believe her looking back on previous receipts. Yeah. yeah. So in an interview with Graham Norton years ago, Melby said that her and Jerry used to drive naked for the laugh together. Okay. Drive. They'd be bored and they'd be driving around and they just all they just both take their clothes off. So then in an interview with Alan Carr again years ago, Mel C said that uh, the group did often have questions about certain members getting together. But she didn't say anyone, she didn't say any names, she didn't say anything, but everyone's like, Well, it's obviously Jerry and Mel. Oh my god. Um, it's not really something you can admit to in the nineties, you know. Mm, now, I don't we, know. You could, but like now we're a lot more. Oh, we're a lot more liberal. Yeah. A lot of the time, you know. Mm-hmm. In 2013, Mel B claimed in an interview that she had a bisexual phase during the Spice Girls and that she was in a committed relationship with a woman for uh, a good few months, but then the woman went a bit nuts. And Mel B's favorite word for Jerry Halliwell is that she's nuts. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And this, I think, is the best bit of the best bit of tea of the whole thing. In two thousand and three, Jerry was on Howard Stern and said that during the Spice Girls' time, she went through a lesbian phase. She had a one-off, one-off, so she says, sexual encounter with another woman that was like, "Oh, I realized quickly I was not a lesbian. I don't mind boobs, but the other bit is not my cup of tea." She was like, it's part of experimenting. I was drunk at the time. I could never say who it was. I don't think she was a lesbian either, but I'm going to leave the rest to your imagination. And she confirmed that it was someone that we would know and is a celebrity. Oh. Okay, why didn't they just fucking... Like, what's all this? Leaving us crumbs on the trail. Just say it. That's my tea. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined... I'm not saying that I agree with, but I'm inclined to believe Jerry's side of it I know I know but what what I'm thinking is obviously you know they've got the big tour coming up Piers Morgan always gets the big stories and obviously all these rumors have been going around for so long that it's such a good publicity stunt to say yeah that happened obviously you know those things were true and Jerry's sitting there like no fucking didn't you know do you recall the time yeah when she was like, when she was like, oh, we had a sexual relationship, whatever. I was like, why the fuck would you say that now? But also, why would you say it to Piers Morgan? Yeah. Like, and as much as you're like, oh, publicity for the tour, da da da, they didn't need that. That tour sold no, out in lightning no, seconds. The tour was already sold out, and it was like three weeks. But it was like the week before they were supposed to go into rehearsals. Like in the interview, she talks. She's like talking to Mel C about the fact that they had like shoe fittings and stuff for the tour. So it was like the tour was starting. Like they were about to start rehearsing, and Jerry comes and says no. But I also think that like I just feel like it's it it, it is that mentality still from that time of like, I can't come out now and say this. It's been 20 years. I'm now married to a man and have his kids. I don't want this. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I I don't think it's necessarily not true because it like also, sorry, I was on YouTube and Jesus, the amount of like, (laughs) if you type in like Melby and Jerry on YouTube, it just comes up with like, 
so many compilations with like oh, no. love, songs, love songs behind them and I started two watching one, one. Oh, two become one and like you know it's just like clips of them like laughing and talking together and having a hug and giving a kiss you know it's very yeah, well, it is for weird. her to leave on Mel B's birthday mm. cannot be ignored yeah. but one more question because I was like that's such a like that is so rude that is so mean even if like even if she's just your friend that's so harsh but you'd wonder if anything happened on Mel B's side that it was like, I'd like us to go public or, you know, it's my birthday, let's blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but also what's mad about it is I think that it was more that Mel broke it. But this is my, this is just me like making yeah. things up. But I think that it was like Mel broke up with Jerry because Mel mm-hmm. then started going out with the dancer who she had her first kid with and became pregnant during 1998, which was when Jerry left. Oh shit! Oh god, because I, I don't know. I I interpreted this story that Mel they'd had sex. Jerry was like, "Nah, that's not for me." And then Mel had kind of been like, "What do you mean that's not for you? We need to tell everyone like that we're a thing." And she was like, "No, we're just friends," and left the band to get away from Mel. But no, I don't think that was it. That Jerry was like, "Let's just like we don't need to be anything serious. Let's just like." keep having fun da, da, da. and Mel was like I want a relationship and Jerry was like I'm not ready so she went off got her jealous and then Jerry was like you hurt me I'm gonna hurt you back tenfold I'm out yeah and then apparently Mel B came out after Jerry left saying that the two of them because they were so close they made a pact together saying that if either of them wanted to leave they would tell each other and then Jerry just left Let's get the podcast out of the way and then we can. Yeah, it's just bullshit podcast. <laughs> fucking it's stop. Bullshit podcast. Your job <laughs> and then let's have fun. Okay, are we ready for it? Yeah. Now, as I said, I have no idea what this is. I woke up from a bad dream with an hour to prepare myself. So I decided with this hour of time and my bleary self, mm-hmm. now is the perfect time to do a dive into something I know nothing about and start from scratch. Mm, yeah. Welcome thing. to the world of K-pop. Mm. I was going to do K-pop and then I didn't because I was like, it's too much. It's oh. all too big. I know. Let me tell you about this. It's actually very interesting. Okay, so first off, what's K-pop? Please bear in mind, I did not arrange these notes in any order. <laughs> what's K-pop? So uh, the world's kind of intro to K-pop was through Gangnam Style, where we were that Gangnam Style had the most, was the most viewed video on YouTube for five years straight. Whatever took it? I have no idea. But like, Ooh. I thought maybe like it was, it was at its peak for a year, two years, five years. We were like, like, put on Gangnam Style. That was insane. That was everywhere, wasn't it though? Like, I just remember like, what year was that? 2011? Yeah. You have to do the dance. Oh. I'm currently doing the dance. I don't know if you can see my arms are flailing. My hair's going really sad just for a second. The most viewed video at the moment on YouTube is Despacito. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't even think it's it's not even the Justin Bieber version. Yeah. Still saying Despacito. Okay, anyway. So what is K-pop? K-pop is Western style of music meets Korean messages. So it's it's not as like sexual, it's still like a Korean culture coming through, but it's with a Western style of music. 
Um, and it first kind of became big um, on a talent show. It was in 1992. Uh, so talent shows are huge in Korea. And this boy band of three people went on and did their performance. And everyone was like, what is this? This is amazing. Fashion and image are huge elements of K-pop because a lot of my story centers around what is K-pop and what makes it what it is. Yeah. What are the limitations? Okay. So also this Korean wave has a certain name. It's called Hallyu is the Korean wave of influence. The Ministry of Culture in South Korea has an entire division dedicated to K-pop because it's so big. Wow. Ooh. It's a huge industry and it's kind of putting Korea on like a cultural map. Do you know what? I believe um, that. The West. So yeah. obviously Korea has so many cultural influences anyway, but for Western people, it's the K-pop that really drew us in. Yeah. Sorry. I just, my, uh, my first memory of K-pop was I was in stage school. I was friends uh, when a friend of mine um, was obsessed with this, with a guy group and a girl group. And the girl group, I think, had like nine of them in it. It was huge. Yeah. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I didn't know that this existed. Yeah. I was maybe, what, like 15? You know, um, when I was 15, I dated someone who loved K-pop. Yeah. And was like shocked that I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what this is. Like, I remember it's being absolutely like online like obviously it doesn't play on Irish radios or anything like that but like they would always be there's like those fan videos or like mm. photo sets of k-pop bands and I'm like what is this but also I wasn't big into like I don't know like anime or those kind of subcultures so I just kind of assumed and that's possibly incorrect of me yeah. to have done so but I was like that's just people that are really into the I don't know, more eastern fashion eastern cultures than I am mm. but I think yeah it is but it is like a like a hybrid of the two, you know, I'm very glad you said that, Emma, because that brings us to oh, that's very interesting. Because there's this whole notion, really, the whole argument of this is what is K pop? What makes it something that is strictly for Korean people? Because let me tell you what happened in 2015, a woman called Bora Kim um, was doing her master's in Columbia University in America. Mm-hmm. And she went over there, I believe it was in like sociology or arts or whatever. So she went over to the US in 2014 uh, to study for her master's, oh sorry, in Columbia in New York. And she started to question like, what is K-pop? What is the meaning for it? Because it's like becoming a global phenomenon. It's really gaining momentum. But she was like, is it only something Korean people can do? How can we push it? Where is it going? What are its limits? Mm-hmm. So she did an experiment for her masters, for her thesis. And it was two years long where she set up a K-pop band of strictly non-Korean members. She advertised this and the band is called uh, EXP Edition. EXP stands for Experiment. So the Experiment Edition. And she set them up and it was uh, about six members. And then after they started like touring New York, like they learned Korean from her because they had to sing in Korean. So they learned Korean from her. Uh, her friend wrote the lyrics and then she would translate them. They were doing all this choreography. It was all very like a DIY approach to it. Mm-hmm. And then after the thesis, because she was like, my master's was done. I'd, I'd got my degree or whatever but they still wanted to carry on with it and you know it was actually gaining momentum and I did want to see where it was going to go so she had a kickstarter which she raised thirty thousand dollars and four of the members decided that they wanted to move to Seoul in South Korea to pursue this fully these four lads Shimei, Shimei, 
I knew it this morning, I don't know. But it's Shemai, who is Croatian-American, Hunter, who is from New York, Frankie, who's from Rhode Island, and Koki, who is half Japanese, half German, raised in Texas. That None of them knew any Korean, none of them have anything to do with, like they don't have Korean ancestry, anything like that. She made sure of that because that was part of the experiment. Yeah. Um, so they all moved over. They all had a kind of backgrounds in musical theater and they all kind of wanted to be famous in that way. So she says that when they moved over, people in Korea were so intrigued by them and so welcoming and supportive. Uh, Bora says she remembers one audience member came up to her after the show and said the band really made her rethink what K-pop is, which was her whole point. Um, but then what's very strange is that in Korea, they were well received and people were like, that's so interesting. I like, I'm excited to see what's going on with this. But all like K-pop stands, English speakers, Americans, hated them and they started receiving death threats online oh uh, all of these youtubers were like that's cultural appropriation they are not allowed to do that but she was like it was really interesting because it was all non-korean people saying that wow. and even they were like i don't understand this cultural appropriation because i'm not i like i am trying to respect the culture i'm not trying to make a mockery of it i'm working really hard to live here to learn the language to respect the culture so they were trying really hard to fit in they pretty much and even like the video is kind of jarring mm -hmm. because they they have the look down to a t so they all have the they all have the haircuts that you'd expect they're all wearing the right clothes they're putting on the makeup they're doing all this p.s um the style is called futurism uh for k-pop and it's a blend between harajuki clothing in japan and western influences mm -hmm. is the idea it's called futurism it's very fun but uh very popular but um, pretty much they all moved to Korea. You can see them learning Korean. I would recommend watching this. It's a 25 minute clip and it's so weird. Um, but then also people were getting annoyed with them, I suppose in the Korean market. Also they were only working with uh, K-pop choreographers, K-pop production companies. Like they were like, why aren't we considered K-pop? We're doing everything everyone else is doing. It's just that we are white and we're not Korean. So do you have to be Korean? Is that what makes K-pop K-pop? Because to be, everyone in Korea, it seems, wants to be a K-pop idol. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of schools in Korea. They're called incubator schools, pretty much, where you go and you learn how to sing and dance. And, like, you train for up to 10 years for 10 to 12 hours a day. Yeah. Wow. And you yeah. still may not become a K-pop star. Only 20 to 30% of trainees get signed by an agency and there's so many of them because i've heard horror stories about the women doing it and like just like huge pressures yeah and also then when you get signed on um it's very restrictive lifestyle so you pretty much sign a contract that could be for like 10 years and that will restrict you from having relationships um it you sign over your image entirely Oh to God. the label because you've worked so hard you're like yeah i'll give you whatever you want mm -hmm. so they pretty much own you and and your life is in their hands and you have to do anything for your fans and to make yourself successful um so some people were annoyed that they bypassed the system then like the top choreographer leah kim who works with all the big k-pop bands was interviewed in this and she says that um dance and image have to be perfect and synchronized because it is so hard 
Like you just have to be the best pretty much. And like, it won't be accepted as anything else. And she said that it's not impossible to come from an outside world into K-pop and to be successful, but it's very hard. And because of the intense training and how well known that is, K-pop fans expect idols to be perfect. Now here was an issue. Um, X, EXP, listen, the band, the boys. This all happened in 2018, by the way, mm-hmm. right? So this all went down in 2018 that they moved over to Korea and were trying to make a name for themselves. Um, they, they were doing the classes, they were learning Korean, but their pronunciation was off. So that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Their dancing was good, their singing was good, but, um, and they also had, where do I have it here? Oh yeah, so they had these really famous Korean YouTubers um, rated and reviewed their first song and like what they say is kind of law and the two of them kind of made fun of it and were like it wasn't good and they were like they had the lockdown but the pronunciation was off and like they thought it was a joke and they're like we thought it was a once-off thing because we knew it was part of this experiment we didn't think they were going to be sticking around and we certainly haven't heard of them since Mm. they're not doing well but the lads it's actually quite heartbreaking because the lads are like we're trying really hard I really miss my family I'm putting everything on the line for this I cannot go back to auditioning in New York City like this is my lifestyle and then everyone around them is like it's it's not really working out your EXP edition can recreate the sound the look the vibe of K-pop acts but they can't recite the literal recreate the literal blood sweat and tears going into becoming a K-pop star and I think that's what they that what that's what makes them lack the ability to be called K-pop but again very strangely um, Korean people were kind of like ready to accept them uh, much more than American people. And American people were just like, it's not about, American people were just like, it's, it's not about the race aspect. And they're like, then what is it? They're like, I don't know, something's off. Like, I guess like maybe it is because they're all white, but like that's, it's not about race. It's not about race. It's, it's cultural appropriation. Wait, what, what do you think about that? Of like, like the fact that it's not, the Korean people aren't, if don't like, don't really care about it. And yet the Americans are so quick to judge and jump at it. But then here's the debate, because Bora Kim, who went over and started the experiment, was like, what did she say? She was like, for American and white people to be like, it has to only be Koreans, it has to only... She called this uh, Orientalism and exoticizing. And she said it was demeaning. Yeah. And she was like, it's an art form that they're not even letting us like take out to the masses. Yeah. Because it has to be done by only us, because we're only like cute or something like she was like I don't understand where that argument is coming from but then other people are coming in and saying that it's another example of white people inserting themselves into other cultures and not even realizing and not respecting the art form Mm. because they bypassed how difficult it was yes in some extent that that's what it is but then it's also then the fact that it's then white people judging that and making that call they shouldn't be the ones that are always oh, it it's about ownership of k-pop and why do white people think they're the ambassadors of k-pop was another argument and then a very interesting one by the band themselves were like i mean this needs to grow and this happened with jazz and hip-hop that were predominantly for the like by the black community by black artists and they were like for that to grow and that to come into mainstream it was shared with white people and in some ways, it's kind of giving white people a pat on the back. they being like, we let jazz be heard. But in other ways, we it is We made like, it mainstream. It, mm. Globalization means that it's shared. Yeah. But then again, white people shouldn't be having this debate. No, it's not for white people to have. 
No. Um, so then here's you know, the thing. I was like, oh, sorry, Fritz. Well, it belongs to Korea. So Korea, Korea can define it however they want, you know? Here's something interesting. Then as well, there were, because Emma was talking about earlier on, um, that maybe it doesn't like really feel that Korean or it's, it's a blend of things. So Korea was occupied by Japan for a really long time. And then when they came out of that occupation, not that they didn't have a culture, but like a lot of their culture had been lost. Mm-hmm. So K-pop was kind of something that they were like, oh, this is ours. But K-pop has so many, like it is drawn from Western influences. So it's already a marriage between the East mm-hmm. and the West. So is it not shared between them? This It's That's- so interesting about but what it is. Also the West... <sighs> I need to use quotation marks because I just hate oh, wow. that that idea of it being East and West or whatever. But like, yeah. but just the fact that like the West is now, I think, predominantly just thought of as the US. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it really includes us. It doesn't, inc- I don't think it really includes Canada. It doesn't include, you know, certainly just Europe. South America or Middle America, you know. Mm. It doesn't really include Europe to a huge extent. I think it's literally when you say the West, my mind goes to the US. That's yeah. what I think of. But it's very interesting. And also then this whole argument of cultural preparation is like taking someone's traditions and using them. And then there's them saying that this isn't traditional Korean art form. This is, this is something new and modern. Um, but anyway, so all this happened in 2018. As of right now, I was like, whatever happened to these lads? Because it does leave in a weird place mm. oh it's actually very sad so what they did then was because like the band wasn't doing too well in korea and um, one of the lads went on a korean talent show again to to try to like lift their names and he did not win oh that's quite heartbreaking to watch spoiler alert sorry but i was like where what happened to these boys like where are they now um and it there's actually not that much information on them online about like what's going on they appear to not have released any music since new music since 2018 Ooh. um they have 1000 monthly spotify listeners um they've got oh. like they've like it seems like under 10 songs on spotify so no maybe you listen somewhere else but um but then when i went on their instagram they posted an instagram four days ago episode where no one got cancelled. And you know what? I'm sick of cancel culture. We're not canceling anyone. That's quite nice. Are you saying you're cancelling cancel culture itself? I'm cancelling cancel culture. Oh. All wow. right. You oh, my heart first episode three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Woo! Next week we will be joined by a special guest and we will be discussing the last five years so we're going to go from 2015 to 2020 any scandals within that five-year period bye guys see you next week bye